All right, everybody, let's go ahead and make your way back to your seats. Well, good morning. Hope you guys are good. It's good to be back after a week, uh, weekend away. We ventured to the coast for a weekend and had a good time, but missed being here on Sunday. Um, as we start this morning, I've got a handful of new members to present to you, um, to those that are here. I know one of them is not here. I haven't seen one, and I know one is here. So y'all just give it up for the one that is here. And we'll make the others not feel great for not being here, all right? So uh, the first one's Willie Allen. If you guys know Willie, he's a ROTC student. Uh, yeah. Mason, I haven't seen him. Mason's not here. Mason Forrester, Forrester and Curtis Davidson, who is here. There, there was one who stood for you, Curtis. Um, shocker, it was Thomas. All right, let me get this clock out so we don't, uh, you guys, we're not here till Christmas morning. Um, so we're in a season of Advent, which is a, an exciting time for the church. It's an exciting time uh, as Christians as we intentionally slow down and press in, right? It's not, it's not just that we slow down and we wait. It's that we wait with a purpose. And this is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. I thought Andrew did a very good job last week wrestling through peace uh, but two weeks ago, we started with that first pillar of Advent being hope, and last week, the second pillar in peace. This morning, we're talking about joy, and then on Christmas Eve, our last gathering of the year, uh, we'll talk about love. And so it's an exciting time uh, to hear and to be reminded of these three things, which really do make up the core ethics, if you will, of walking with Jesus. And, and so as we talk through hope and peace, and in particular today, joy and then love, we are reminded that Christ is the fulfillment of all of those things. And so this season of Advent really just reminds us that we're still in a season of Advent, apart from just the four weeks before Christmas. We're in a season where we're waiting for Christ's return and where he makes all things new. And so how I want to start this morning is maybe a, a passage that's familiar but wouldn't necessarily make sense for a morning on joy. We're going to start with Luke's account in chapter 1 of the birth of Jesus being foretold. And so I want to read through um, Mary's song or her, her, her song of praise um, down through 55. So that's, it's a lot of text as we start this morning, but I trust that you're going to be okay with that. Those who wouldn't be okay with that aren't here today anyways, and so it's going to be fine. But as I was preparing for this um, to talk about joy, I kept wrestling through Mary and just her experience as Jesus's mom. And not just that she was a mom, but that she was confronted with a lot of adversity. She was confronted with what some would call suffering. And so as we talk about joy, I thought it might be helpful for us uh, to start here, even as we just cast the stage for the week that is Christmas week. And so let's start reading. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. 
And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. I want you to make note of verse 29. She was greatly troubled, okay? We'll come back to that. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. She went from troubled to servant. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Verse 39. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Verse 46, Mary said, this is Mary's song now, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to, us, to his offspring forever. And Mary remained there about three months and returned to her home. Let's, let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for uh, this account of Mary's um, experience with the angel. And as she received this promise of a son to come God, we rest on your promises that one day all things will be made new. And so as we sit and we wait and we worship as brothers and sisters during this season, I pray that you would call us often to remembering that we are your servants. Help us to not be troubled, but to rest and rejoice 
in God our Savior. And so now as we dive in uh, to your word in Galatians, I pray that you would go before us. Help me to be clear and confident and to speak with courage. And if anything comes out of my mouth that isn't of you, I pray that you would remove it from our ears. So Lord, we love you and we trust you. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray in his beautiful name. Amen. So we see this theme of joy usually always connected to this idea of suffering. And I'm going to lay out a biblical perspective of joy through suffering. And that may seem like, oh man, that doesn't seem very cheery, right? That's holiday cheer. Uh, That's not really why we're here. We're here to look clearly at who is Jesus. And ultimately, I think, as we talk through joy, it's this with this prayer in mind, that your joy would be made complete through the presence of Christ. That's it. Okay, so if you, if you have brunch plans and you need to get there, that, that is our prayer for you. Uh, I think you have time uh, to make it, okay? So uh, anyways, we're going to look through a handful of scriptures. And again, this is, a, this is a bit like the preacher cherry picking, okay? So you guys know me better than that. I don't make a habit of doing that, but we're going to do that here this morning because there are two themes that come up in each of these texts, and that is joy in suffering. So the first one is from Acts chapter 5, and this is where the, uh, they're talking through the apostles and what's going on with them. This is verse 41 from Acts chapter 5. It says, Then they, who being the apostles, left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, and that name being Jesus' name. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, which is a key to joy. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Colossians 1, verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all in endurance, and patience with joy. Hebrews 10, 34, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Can you imagine? Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. James 1, James is one of my favorite letters in in the New Testament. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. There is a posture. There is a shift. This isn't natural, is it? Right? This isn't natural. 1 Peter, last one, chapter 4, verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So what is joy? Have you thought about it? Much beyond just the basic working definition. Joy is not happiness. Happiness is a piece of joy, but joy is so much bigger than happiness. Happiness is what? It's based on our circumstances. And joy is better than our happiness. This is what Jesus would tell us over and over again. There was nothing happy about being hung on a cross. And yet it was joy for Christ to lay down his life. Do you see the differences between the two? And throughout scripture, we see this, that joy and suffering often go hand in hand because on this side, 
of sin, this side of the Garden of Eden, there is suffering, and no one is exempt from that. None of us. You can look around the room. You can look at all the seats where people used to sit. All of us have been impacted by suffering. But joy and our circumstances are not connected. Happiness is based on our situation, right? We, our, our favorite football team brings us happiness. That is different than joy because those same people, those children who wear pads, will let you down. Okay? Happiness is, is eating your favorite meal. Right? And some, sometimes we'll, we will mask those things as joy, but those, that's not joy. That's happiness, right? Happiness is, is seeing people that you haven't seen in a long time. Joy, though, is so much bigger than that. It's bigger than how you did on your final exams. Students who are still here, amen, it's over. You've endured, right? You've made it to the end of yet another semester. Anybody want to quit? Okay, we're here to endure, yeah? A couple students are laughing or crying on the inside. We don't know which. But we're quick to base our joy on what the world presents in front of us, right? We'll watch a commercial, and all of a sudden we desire that thing. We think it will bring us joy. And yet really what our hearts are saying is, no, we've, we've replaced joy with happiness, and that thing will make me happy, and I want to be happy. When we look at the Bible, the Bible doesn't promise us happiness, the Bible promises us joy. Now, the joy is, can bring happiness as a piece of joy, but joy is so much bigger than happiness of itself. Joy, I think the best way to define it is what we have now as a new creation. It's a new identity, right? So whereas before we were dead in our trespasses and sins, this was the sermon series we just came out of, and now we've been brought to new life, and that new life is founded in Joy. Have you ever met someone who just came to faith in Christ? Hello? <laughs> yes. There's something different about that person, isn't there? And generally, we, we, will, we will mark that up to, man, that person's on fire for the gospel. Have you ever heard that saying? No, that person, for the first time in their life, is filled with joy. Amen? And all of us who walk with Jesus are filled with joy. And sometimes joy looks like this, doesn't it? Or it feels like this. But joy is so much bigger than just our feelings. It is who we are. So our text for today is Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to read this now. It's just three, four verses, verses 4 through 7. Jared read it at the beginning. And I think the idea here is Christian joy is a free people's joy. Okay? And let's take a look at this text. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Verse 7, so you are no longer a slave but a son. You are now part of the family. And if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. See, heirs have joy. This kind of heir, right? There's a story in Luke 15 where there's an heir who wants all of his stuff from his dad and he winds up spoiling, you know, the story of the prodigal son. That wasn't an experience of joy. Joy came later for the prodigal. 
Joy came back when he was in the presence of his father, right? And who was robbed of joy in that moment? Do you know the story? The older brother was, wasn't he? The older brother was robbed of joy because all he could see was his own happiness being taken away. Okay? Joy is bigger than the older brother's experience. Joy is the, is the coming back into the presence of God as a new creation. I was dead, and now I'm alive. And that lifeness is joy. John Stott, in his commentary on Romans chapter 5, which we're going to read this at the end when we close this morning, but he says it, it seems clear that the main mark of a Christian the main mark of a justified believer is joy. It's joy. And we will see all these things, right, in the next week or certainly in the last couple of weeks that are going to say, hey, listen, you really want to be happy. And we'll put a big red bow on that new car. And that new car is better than your old car. And if you have this new car, you're going to be happy. And we buy it. And we do feel happy. And yet, it'll be a week or two later, and we'll feel that emptiness again. The happiness has worn off because somebody dinged our door, or you lit a child in the back seat. And all of a sudden, the happiness is gone. Because that car is never going to fulfill you. That thing that's stuffed up under the tree is never going to fulfill you. Only the presence of Jesus in your life is going to bring you full satisfaction. It's this idea of being content. Only people who have joy can be content. Because everything I need is found in Jesus. It's a free people's joy. So then we have this idea of, but we're still on this side of Christ's return. We're still waiting. We're still in a season of Advent. And so we have joy already, right? And praise God for that. But there is a joy to come that is different than the joy that we experience, even as Christians on this side of eternity. It's joy already, but not yet. So true joy, kids, if you have your sheet, this is one of your points. I think I may have skipped one or didn't call it out, but joy being better than happiness was your first one. That true joy is found only in the presence of Jesus. And at Christmas time, we're so quick to forget it. We're so quick to forget it in a season that's marked by Christ's birth. Somehow has become about something entirely different. If not for the world at large, at least in our little micro communities, they become distracted by all the things that the world has to offer. And yet as Christians, we have this joy that's pointing to a future joy that will be joy fully and finally fulfilled. But Christians experience this foretaste of true joy as they walk in the ways of Jesus. This is, why we t this is why we study the Bible the way that we study it. Because we believe that if we will look at God's word for what is actually there, we will grow in our likeness of Jesus. If you've heard me say one phrase over and over and over again, maybe at nauseum, is my prayer for us as Christians, my prayer for us as members of this church or as people who call this church their home, is that every day we will look more like Jesus. That is what we are here to do. That's why Christ has left us here. Because as we look more like Jesus, guess what happens to those around us? They can start to see Jesus in us. 
But there's a coming a day when our joy will be made complete. John 15. That Jesus' joy would be in you and that it would be complete. What will that day look like? We stand in awe in the presence of the one that pursued us. Born of a virgin. Lived a sinless life. I think so oftentimes we, because the Bible doesn't have a whole lot of, of Jesus' life between when he uh, stuck around in the temple when he was 12-ish, right? When he was a young boy. And then when he was older doing ministry. Like we have this huge, we have this huge gap, right? But what we see of Jesus is he's constantly pushing and pointing other people to the Father. Right? Even in the temple encounter with his parents where they, they took off. Has anybody ever been left behind? Okay, yeah, so it's Jesus, so you're good, you're safe. And they come back to him. I can't, I can't even really imagine. Uh, I got left behind one time as a kid. It's okay, my parents are here. They found me eventually. But I wasn't praying or doing anything. I was probably getting into trouble, okay? And yet Jesus is teaching in the temple as a boy. He's like, this is my father's house is what he says. And it's later on in that temple we see in Jesus' ministry where he flips over the tables because the temple had become a place of money exchange, of a marketplace. Jesus is trying to point people back to relationship with the Father because he knows there, in that place, and in that place only, they will find content, contentedness, fulfillment in the presence of God. That is true joy. Even in their day, they didn't have iPhones, believe it or not. They didn't have cars. They didn't have TVs. They didn't have all the distractions that we think are unique to us. They still had them. They were just in a different form. And Jesus came to show them a better way. But this Christmas and every Christmas, that true joy is only found in Jesus. That's it. And so no matter what brings you in here, and here's what's beautiful about being in the church during seasons like Christmas and Easter, is there are people wander in. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. And maybe it's a good opportunity for somebody in your life, like, hey, I don't know, if that, they may never come to church, but they might come to a Christmas service, right? And we think about these people. Ultimately, what we're trying to do is saying, hey, all the stuff that you're chasing, that the world says will make you whole, there's a better thing that will fill you fully and finally. It's the water that will never run dry, the well that will never run dry. There's a book that we read in seminary called Water from a Deep Well. It's by a guy named Gary Sitzer. I couldn't recommend it high enough, okay? Write it down. Water from a Deep Well. And it, basically, it's a, you might not like it, okay? That might be a bit of a bold endorsement, but every chapter, he's looking at different periods throughout church history and their focus of spiritual formation. So he starts talking through the apostles, he goes through the desert fathers, the dark ages, reformation, the enlightenment, all, all, all these different key series, uh, seasons of Christians. And the whole point is their pursuit of Jesus, their pursuit of joy, because he knows that no matter what time period you happen to live in, all of us are looking for hope. Peace, joy, love, things that our DNA, our hearts, are created to long for. And so we'll search for them in any way we can find them. And so we mask hope as a wish, or peace as the lack of violence, or joy as happiness, our love as affection. 
But all four of these things are so much bigger than the way that our world defines them. The gospel is the good news that brings great joy. Amen? Hello? It is a happy time of year because it's a season of joy. Okay? Let's go. The gospel is the good news that brings great joy for all people. That doesn't mean that all people will come to know Jesus, but it is ultimately the only hope we have. It's the only joy that can be fully experienced. And there is coming a day, praise God, that our joy will be made complete. So last weekend, some of you know, uh, we, I was running, I was jogging last weekend for a really long time. And um, we talk about endurance. And I'm, as I'm cramping and hurting and wanting to die, um, I was thinking about these texts that I read at the beginning and how joy and endurance and suffering all kind of go together. And I was struck with this thought of, we talk a lot about finishing strong. All the running books I read and the people I follow, they, they finish strong, you know, like you want to cross the finish line with your head up. And you start thinking about, okay, well, why do I, why do, I do this? Why, do, why does anybody do anything? And it's because you're, you're seeking finishing strong And there's this difference in the Christian that our goal isn't to finish strong. Our goal is to finish well. And we have to see the difference between the two. Now, there's a 30-second gap at the end of that race that I ran last weekend where I pretended to finish strong. It only lasted for about 20 to 30 seconds. And I had my head up, and I was going as fast as my cramped-up legs could go. And the reality is, about five minutes before, I wanted to throw up, and lay down. I did not finish strong, and yet I finished well. And I think for all of us, and what I love about our church is like, we have a lot of young people. We used to have a lot of young people and no older people. We used to be the church that would like, we would have no one here on these big holidays because they will always go home. And now maybe some of you are in the room because you're here to visit your parents and your parents are a part of our church. Who would have thought, right? But we're all here in different seasons of life. And this is what I love about where we are as a church right now. All of us are called to finish well. It's not in finishing strong that you find joy. It's in finishing well. And so whether that's finishing a semester at school or it's starting a new job or transitioning your family into a new location or whatever the thing in your life may be, the world says you need to be strong. That's not what the Bible says. You can be strong. It's not anti-biblical. But our goal is to finish well. And so no matter where you are, no matter what's going on in your life, when you finish well, your joy will be made complete. And that is our prayer. That is our goal as a people, as a body, as brothers and sisters, is to point to each other to finish well. Hey, you're struggling. I see that you're struggling. Let's link arms and go together. And going together, we will finish well. And so as we come to the end of another year of of ministry and being a church, and again, we have Christmas Eve service, so I'm not dismissing us for the year yet. But it does give us reason to reflect as we wind down another year. How can we finish well? How can we finish well? And I think it's having a firm biblical understanding on these four things, these pillars of Christian faith, hope, peace, 
joy, and love. So may the joy of Christ be in you, and may it be made complete. That is our prayer, my prayer for you, and I hope it will be our prayer for each other. So this morning, as we go to the tables to take communion, would you just slow down? We can afford for you to slow down because there's not as many people here, okay? So I'm being serious. Take your time. I think so oftentimes we go up there and we just try to rush through what we're doing. Be intentional today as you go. If you're in the room and you're not a Christian, we would ask that you just stay and reflect in your seat as this is a, a meal for the Christian to come and partake, the body of Christ broken and his blood spilled. And so as you come, would you just slow down and reflect on all that God has done, all of his promises that he has kept, and ultimately the final promise that he will fulfill when Christ returns and makes all things new and our joy will be made complete. Let's pray. Father, we are incredibly thankful for this season, for a season where we can be reminded that you are a promise maker and you are a promise keeper. And so, Lord, we look to you and to you alone for joy, that our identity as Christ followers would be visible for those around us, that we would be people of joy, people marked by Christ. So I pray for those in the room who um, maybe they're preparing for their first Christmas without a loved one or uh, their first Christmas and this, their situation is different or people uh, that have come around them would be new for the first time. I pray for those who are going to celebrate their first Christmas with a new baby. God, as we do that, I pray that you would help us to be mindful and to be reminded of why we celebrate the birth of Christ. Because it was in his birth, his perfect life, in his death and resurrection that you have given us new life. And so as our identity as a Christian, would you help us to be a people of hope, a people of peace, a people of joy, and a people of love. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. We pray now as we go to the table of the Lord that you would remind us, renew us, and refresh us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.